Hello, and thank you for joining us here on The Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my uh, partner in crime, my trusty sidekick, his name, at Eric Dalala. Phil, thanks for having me on to your podcast. Well, you know, like I feel bad not calling you my everything, but, uh, you know, the powers that be have told me I need to keep this intro pretty brief. Let's get to the content, they say. Yeah. And uh, we got a great show lined up for you. We got a couple of guests that I think you'll be pretty interested in. Former defensive back Darius Butler joins us on the show uh, talking about this Broncos secondary era. Yeah, Phil, he played a long time in the NFL and I think has some some good thoughts about Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, A.J. Boye, uh, and the whole Broncos secondary. So uh, we'll get some insight there. And then uh, we'll also chat with former all-pro linebacker for the Broncos, Tom Jackson. He shares some stories about John Elway when the Broncos made the trade for him that I think you'll be really interested in. Just some really, you know, I I personally had never heard some of these stories, so I I thought that that was cool. Uh, Part of our Broncos legend series, but uh, I pulled this interview out uh, about this portion of it, about John Elway out that I thought NZ Nation would be interested in. I think anything with John Elway, Phil. John Elway, Drew Locke, Peyton Manning, Jerry Judy. That's kind of the big four right now in Broncos country. That's what the people care about, and that's what we give them. You know, we hear we hear what you're saying, and we respond with the content. So uh, we should have a nice little show. We'll talk about uh, our biggest surprises in training camp so far. The Broncos through 10 days of training camp as we're recording this. Um, so we'll talk about our surprises and then we'll wrap things up with uh, bubble talk. And I'm not talking about gum, Eric. The NBA bubble. Not the NBA bubble either. No. Uh, although the NBA uh, boycotting games uh, as we speak right now. So um, something to watch there. But we'll be talking about bubble guys as the roster cut down now just over a week, a week away. Yeah, the... Uh... NFL schedule has been condensed, Phil, which means some tough decisions are heading the Broncos' way, and we'll dive into that a little bit. So uh, hopefully that introduction was fast enough and uh, didn't bore everybody listening. Uh, so, Eric, why don't we uh, jump right in with our biggest surprises so far through training camp? Yeah, Phil, I'll start off, and then I'll just let the hate mail file in for me because I don't think people are going to love this answer, but I think my biggest surprise of training camp is fourth-year tackle Garrett Bowles. I, uh, <laughs> that is the collective response of everybody listening. Wow. You know, all offseason, Phil, we heard, you know, the Broncos need to draft a tackle. They need to sign one in free agency. They need to trade for one. They need to have Elijah Wilkinson compete with Garrett Bowles. And then we get out on the field and – you know, Jawan James opts out and Garrett Bowles holds his own at left tackle through the first 10 days. Now, has it been perfect? No. And is it just practice? Yes. And, you know, when I tweeted early in training camp that he looked good, people were like, well, it's just practice. It's not a game. But Garrett was improved at the end of 2019, those final five games. I think he was the seventh best tackle by pro football focus in that time frame. Broncos only gave up one sack a game. And watching him in practice, There was a play on Tuesday, Phil, where Bradley Chubb kind of faked like he was going to drop in the coverage and then quickly did a speed rush right at Garrett Bowles. And Bowles was looking a different direction, trying to help pick up a linebacker. And, you know, he got right there, stopped Bradley Chubb, wasn't fooled at all. And I thought it was an impressive play that that play allowed uh, Drew Locke to find somebody down the field. To me, as I've been saying for months, Phil, left tackle is it's much less of a concern than right tackle in my eyes. And that's because Garrett Bowles has taken a step forward, a step forward. And it doesn't mean he's not going to have a holding penalty here and there. It doesn't mean he's not going to have issues at times, but I think by the end of the year, you might look and say, man, this guy uh, wouldn't be so upset if we kept him around a couple more years. Yeah. I think that it appears that Bowles has turned a corner here. You know, it's the first time in his career that he is going into a season having the same position coach as a year prior. 
which is crazy to think about how much change he's gone through there. But finally having Mike Munchak there, working with him consistently, I think that you could tell that he just feels a lot more confident. And, uh, you know, we heard him meet the media a little bit and he said all the right things. He said that he took ownership for his play and he knows that he's got to get better. But I agree with you. He played well at the end of last season. And I think that uh, for an offensive lineman, knowing the quarterback behind you better and better and better makes you better. You know, like uh, linemen who have worked with the same quarterback for this, you know, for many, many years, they know they have that clock in their head that one, two, three, boom, I've done blocking because I know the quarterback's gotten rid of the ball. Or like with the case with Drew, one, two, three, I know Drew's either throwing the ball or he's taken off and he's using his mobility or something. So I think that that's going to help Garrett Bowles. And, uh, you know, just physically, he looks like he's in really good shape. He seems like he's a little bit stronger, said he put on 20 pounds this off season. And, you know, I think that kind of stuff makes a difference. No, definitely. And are there really good rushers he's going to face? Definitely. I mean, Pittsburgh has a really good one in TJ Watt. You look down the list and, you know, Kansas City and Frank Clark get down, you know, a, a little bit farther. I mean, he the reason last year was such kind of an abomination or felt like it is because he faced Khalil Mack in week two and that went really poorly for him and for, you know, whether it was him not being able to get over that or the fans not being able to get over that um, for good reason. And he's accepted that he didn't play well enough, but that kind of started his season poorly and it was, it was tough to recover, you know, maybe not having fans there could help Garrett balls. I mean, just because, there is kind of this negative mentality toward him. And he's talked about how he's struggled at times to let go of a previous play. Maybe it's easier if you can just get up and go back to the huddle and you don't have to hear about it. Most definitely. I mean, the mental part of the game is so crucial for a guy like Garrett Bowles to have confidence, to know that he's playing well, you know, getting off to a good start, maybe some less penalties. I think that that could go a long way for him. And, you know, when you think about Garrett Bowles, yeah, he's an older player, for the amount of experience he has, but he hasn't played football that long, you know, like uh, he's just a raw talent and uh, maybe finally working with a guy as accomplished as Munchak really uh, is going to go a long way for him because like you, Eric, I've sort of kept an eye on him during practice. And I know the other day during one-on-one drills, he held his own against Bradley Chubb and uh, you know, that's no easy task. So especially when you look down on the other end of the line and you see Elijah Wilkinson having to face Von Miller, and that has not gone particularly well for Elijah Wilkinson. So um, to see Bowles doing well on the other end, that, that I think is an important uh, step here for him. So, uh, and, and Phil, you know, one last point on Garrett, for as poor as the pass blocking has been at times, and, and he really doesn't give up sacks. You know, the penalties are the only poor thing he does. His run blocking is really good. I mean, the Broncos were good at running the ball to the left side of the line of scrimmage last year behind him and Dalton Reiser. I think they were like third best in the league at left tackle runs. I mean, they, they found success there. And so you can't view it just in a vacuum of Garrett Bowles has a holding penalty. That means he's a bad player. You've been uh, checking out the left tackle runs uh, statistics. I uh, like to do a little bit of a deep dive to give fans, you know, a little bit more insight. That's the kind of analysis you can only find here on the neutral zone. So I think uh, that's our podcast supervisor. He's saying we're getting off track and we're spending too much time talking about things. No personality. My, uh, I did get that note. So, uh, we'll move on here. Uh, my surprise so far through camp, I, I'd have to, I considered several players for this, including Jerry, Judy, Eric, but, uh, the clicks. Exactly. You, uh, you use your veto against that because if it were up to me, I would just spend probably two to three hours talking about Jerry, Judy. But, uh, since, uh, you don't like that for some reason. I don't understand it. I'll go with uh, Bryce Callahan. Uh, he seems to uh, have a nose for the ball through 10 days of training camp. He's made several interceptions. 
a lot of uh, PBUs out there. And, uh, you know, he, that was a big question coming in was that we knew what AJ Boye was going to be able to bring just based off of uh, his time in the league elsewhere in Houston and Jacksonville. But other than that, we really didn't know what to expect from this Broncos secondary. And I'll say 10 days in, I feel a lot more comfortable knowing where these guys are. Uh, and the big part of that is knowing that Bryce Callahan can uh, hold his own in base defense. You know, if they, if they just have the two out there, I think that he's done a pretty good job of that. And then definitely in nickel. I think we had a pretty good idea that, you know, when Callahan moves inside, that uh, he does a good job with that. Um, but I, I've been surprised just uh, how much he's around the ball and, and making plays, uh, guarding some of these top, top end talent, talented wide receivers the Broncos have. Yeah, I've been a little concerned at times, Phil, with when he's outside matched up against a bigger receiver, like a Cortland Sutton. I think he does better against a Judy um, where that size differential isn't quite as big. Um, and inside, if you know, if Portland's been in the slot and Callahan's on him, it hasn't been a problem. I think Callahan's actually probably won the majority of those matchups. It's when you get outside and, you know, Cortland has a little bit more space and you can use that size advantage. That'll be something to watch during the season. But, I mean, I agree with you, Phil. I think the whole secondary has been a pleasant surprise just because – you know, you say A.J. Boye can be a number one corner, and we've seen it, but we haven't necessarily seen it the last two years at the level you'd like to. And so the fact that A.J. Boye has, you know, is looking like a true number one cornerback, the fact that Devontae Bosby looks like he can be a solid option at the number three spot, you know, and Isaac Adam has flashed at times too, that to me speaks to – it wasn't – it was never for me about one guy or one spot there in the secondary. It was – how are you going to form a complete cornerback group that can stand up when you're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin? I mean, that's a tough task. And I think we've seen that, you know, is this going to be the number one cornerback group in the NFL? I don't know. That seems like maybe a stretch, but they certainly seem capable enough that this defense isn't going to be let down by that group. Yeah. I don't think they're uh, quite the no fly zone, but uh you know, uh, I would say that uh, aside from uh, Callahan's size, he's been really good, you know, and I think that uh, you're talking about matched up with like a guy like Cortland Sutton or Mike Evans or something like that in the red zone. I don't think the Broncos would put him in that position uh, in a game because there's no way he's going to win a jump ball. There's no way he's going to win like a boxed out type of situation one on one against a guy like that. But I will say the athleticism behind Callahan has been really impressive to me. I think the Broncos are really athletic at that position. You know, you're talking about Bosby's got good size, speed. We saw Bosby have that interception against Jacksonville last year. I think that he has shown that he can uh, pick up where he left off before that injury. I think Isaac Yottam has looked a lot more physical during the first 10 days. And then even Michael Ojemudia, before he, uh, you know, uh, has missed the last several practices here before that, you could tell that he was going to be a physical presence. So they've got size behind Callahan. So I would imagine that if they're near the red zone and they're, they're uh, going up against some bigger guys, I wouldn't look for him to be matched up in a one-on-one -on -one situation like that. So that doesn't concern me too much. Uh, I think that Callahan has works well in traffic. He can move around, you know, he's kind of like a Chris Harris jr. If you ask me, you know, and you know, uh, Chris did not uh, have his best season last year when he was playing outside. So uh, I'll be interested to see just how much they do use Callahan outside. But uh, when there have been contested balls, you know, Callahan has uh, held his own more times than not. Yeah. Well, the one thing I'll say, Phil, is that, it depends on if the Broncos are going to travel AJ Boye with the number one wide receiver, or if they're going to keep him on the same side. And we, we won't go into that in terms of what they've been doing in practice from a competitive advantage standpoint, but yeah, you don't want to get, say, uh, you don't want to get nailed for giving that, it, that stuff. Yeah. Know. We don't need to have Mike Vrabel listen in and find out what we're doing out here, but I will say that that makes a difference because 
if they travel AJ Boye, you know, then you can create those matchups that you want. If you decide Boye is going to stay in one spot, then in some ways that matchup is dictated to you for Bryce Callahan. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do when they get to week one. Most definitely. I mean, I just, I would not, uh, if the Broncos had their way, I don't think they would try to put Callahan in that position. So maybe some adjustments, maybe uh, uh, in that situation, they'd switch off, put Justin Simmons on a guy. I think that Justin uh, is going to be more capable of a jump ball or a boxed out type of thing in the red zone. So um, yeah, I, I just don't think that they would, that would not be ideal for the Broncos defense, no matter what no matter how well Callahan's playing, he's not all of a sudden going to grow five inches and put on 35 pounds. So. Right. um, Well, but, and they just have to be willing to make that adjustment. Right. Because I think when Aqib Tlaib was here, you know, Aqib didn't travel, did he? I think he was stayed on his side and sometimes that let the matchup get dictated to the Broncos. And they were just that that whole secondary was good enough where it just, it didn't really matter too much. So. Well, I, one thing here before we move on, Phil, the, um, keep it quick. No, the no, the no fly zone. Is it possible the Broncos are better at safety now than they were in the no fly zone? Um, good question. Just because, so you're talking about, uh, uh, TJ Ward and Darian Stewart. Yeah. Versus Justin Simmons and cream Jackson. Um, I think you can yeah, make the argument. I would say that- yes. Yes. I, I guess I would say yes. Um, the one thing, no, I, yeah, I guess, you know, like a TJ Ward can hit and Kareem Jackson can hit. I think those two would play, play well together. Uh, D Stu, D Stu is probably a little more physical than Justin Simmons, but Justin is more athletic than Darian's was. So yeah, I yeah. would say yes. Yeah. You know, I think obviously TJ, I think made a couple of pro bowls. So he's the most accomplished of those players, but I think Darius Justin Simmons. Made a pro Bowl too. Yeah, right. But I think I think TJ had the most Pro Bowls of any of these guys because Cream has not made one, um, and Justin obviously was snubbed last year, but does have that second team All Pro. I think Justin probably has the brightest future. Any of those guys, like he can be the the best individual players of of any of them, and I do think that the way Justin plays center field it pairs better with what Kareem does from a physicality standpoint, whereas TJ was really physical, but I, I'm not sure Darian was quite the center fielder that Justin is. But, but given like uh, take away their individual uh, abilities together as a whole, I mean, those guys made plays, you know, TJ Ward made big plays in the Super Bowl. Darian Stewart made plays, you know, again, he had that interception against the Patriots, you know, so those guys, as a unit really excelled where we haven't really seen that with this, this safety duo. We've seen them make plays here and there, but not to the level that that no flies over. So, but yes, individually, I would say a, a better duo there uh, now, but we'll have to see uh, what happens when they, uh, they hit the field for the regular season. So uh, anyway, uh, Eric, uh, shall we get to your conversation? Yeah, Phil, I had a chance to talk with Darius Butler, who played nine years in the league at defensive back, and he's got a pretty good perspective on what it takes to play back there because he played nickel, he played corner, he played safety. So I asked him, what do the Broncos have in players like Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, A.J. Boye? Joined now by former defensive back Darius Butler, who had a nine-year career with the Patriots, Panthers, and Colts, Spent most of that time in Indianapolis and is now the co-host of the Man to Man podcast. Darius, thanks for joining us here. Thank you for having me, man. Looking forward to it. Darius, let's start with a change in the defensive backfield for the Broncos. Chris Harris, who had been here for so many years, moves on to the Chargers and the Broncos pick up A.J. Boye to be their new number one guy. Just curious what you thought about that move uh, and what you like about A.J. Boye's game. Uh, it was definitely a good move to get him in there. Uh, AJ Boyer is a, a physical corner, and when he's playing at the top of his game, um, you know you saw it last year 
uh, not last year, a couple years ago when he was still in Jacksonville. He was playing really, really high-level football. Uh, you know, coming up, he, so he used to come in, and uh, he's a good guy to replace Chris Harris with, but Chris Harris is an all-time, all-time great. He's, he's done, obviously, an all-decade team member um, for a reason. He can play uh, extremely well on the outside and the inside. Um, so he, he brings a lot to the table. So him moving on to Los Angeles, that's a, that's those some big shoes to fill. But I think um, you know AJ Bouye with the other pieces around him will definitely be up to the challenge. Chris Harris, he broke up a lot of passes. AJ Bouye seems to be more of a guy that can intercept him. In your experience playing corner, what makes somebody good at being able to generate those takeaways? Um, you know, it's really just guys um, just having a knack for that ball. Number one, having a knack for it, and then having the ball skills, you know, just the natural ball skills. Um, some guys uh, are better than others. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of something you're kind of born with a little more uh, naturally, but you can definitely work at it. Uh, but this really comes down to anticipating, and once you get into the position, now it comes down to finishing. Uh, a lot of guys can get in the position. You'll see a guy like um, Byron Jones, for example. He's a guy that's going to cover you all over the field but he may not have a bunch of, a ton of ball production. Same thing with uh, Buda Baker. You know, he, he just came the highest paid safety in the league, but not a ton of ball production. So, um, so some guys just have a knack for it. Some guys don't. Uh, but, you know, it comes down to really that player. Darius, at the safety position, the Broncos have Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, who a lot of people consider to be a top 10 safety duo, a top five safety duo. Uh, what do you think about those guys? And can you just speak to, what it does for a defense in general when you can rely on those guys in the back end? Uh, if you got, I mean, if you have one good safety that can, you know, help get guys lined up, um, help uh, be uh, kind of like that coach on the field, especially with today's NFL, you know, back in kind of the throwback days, that was more so on the linebackers. But now it becomes more and more important to have, you know, good safeties, the good corners, slot defenders, whatever you want, nickels, whoever you want to call them, to communicate and get guys lined up because it's becoming more and more of a space game. So you've got guys like Kareem and Justin that can – Kareem obviously played a long time in this league as an outside cornerback, as an inside cornerback, now being a safety. So he's seen the field from so many different uh, perspectives. He's played so many different positions and has excelled at all of them. So you got a guy like that who can kind of be a Swiss Army knife and do whatever you need him to do. If you got a young talent at the top of his game right now with Justin Simmons, so those guys paired up, man. I, I, I definitely see them as a top, you know, three to five uh, safety duo. Do you like that combination there of Kareem's kind of a big hitter and Justin's more of that all-productive safety? Yeah, I love the combo. Um, you see, uh, usually when you have a great safety tandem, um, you know, guys excel at different things. You got, um, you know, Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris out in Minnesota. You got, I can remember some uh, back in the day with uh, Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. Like, you got guys who bring different things to the game, and uh, that's what those guys do. But uh, at the same time, even though, you know, Kareem loves a big hit, Kareem can also, you know, turn the ball over. And even though, you know, Justin Simmons turn the ball over, he can come up and make a big hit as well. Um, I can remember and, and make tackles in space. That's that's what the game is really coming down to is do you have guys that are consistently winning in space? And that's what both of those guys do. Kareem's a very good open field tackler. Same goes for Justin, uh, Justin Simmons. I just saw a play with him um, a couple of days ago. And he was, I think they played against the Browns and uh, Odell Beckham came around in reverse and it was just him and him and Odell one-on-one in open field. And um, a lot of safeties missed that tackle. He made a great tackle. So, um, you know, we have guys that can do that, especially you have multiple guys that can fly around the whole field and get guys on the ground. Um, you're going to win, uh, you know, more games you lose. That's what um, the Patriots excel at year in and year out, is having guys who win in space. And even when the ball is caught, they minimize the yards uh, gained after the kick. So, um, they're definitely good hands with those guys up in Denver. You mentioned Buda Baker there. Darius and obviously Justin Simmons is playing this year on the franchise tag. Do you see teams maybe starting to value safeties a little bit more and kind of understand their place in the game? I know you transferred to safety there late in your career. I mean, I would hope hope so. Um, You know, like I said before, with the game just becoming, uh, it's just evolving. And the offenses are evolving. I feel like the defenses are always a couple steps behind. 
So um, you got to start valuing guys. Buda Baker would be another prime example of a guy who you can put all over the field. He can be a tight end. He can be in the deep part of the field. He can be in a box um, involved in the run game. He can be matched up with a slot receiver and make tackles on a shifter guy in space. You need the more guys you have like that, uh, you know, the better, the better. You see the linebackers are getting smaller and faster. You know, guys are kind of, kind of becoming hybrid, hybrid-like players. So, um, you know, safeties I think will definitely become more value. Uh, safeties, corners, slot defenders, all around the all around the field. But uh, safeties for sure. And um, I hate that Justin Simmons is, uh, is playing on the franchise tag, honestly, because uh, you know you got a guy who's a premier safety in the league. Um, from the outside looking in, it looks like he does you know everything they're asking him to do on and off the field. He's young. He's in his prime. Those are the, the, the perfect guys you want to lock up for a long time. You mentioned there the benefit of a slot corner and kind of a dominant one at that. Bryce Callahan was kind of that guy in Chicago um, back in 2018 and then obviously missed last season. Wondering if you have any thoughts on his game. And then uh, from your time playing the nickel, how does it change what an offense can do when you have a dominant guy there in the slot? Well, yeah, just uh, like we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, the, the void that Chris Harris left um, with him being so um, efficient on the outside and on the inside. So you got A.J. Uh, Bouye coming over, he's going to hold down the outside. But then Callahan, you know, with him being back and healthy, um, he'll be holding down the inside slot position. And it, it's, it's very important. You need at least, in my opinion, at least uh, four good corners in your roster, um, not only for injury purposes, but – you know, guys, offenses are deploying three receiver sets more than they are, um, you know, two receivers or less. So it's becoming a sub game. So your sub package is essentially your starting defense. So um, you got to have guys that can do both, that can be effective in the run game and also be effective in coverage with smaller uh, receivers a lot of time in the slot, tight ends. And then you got guys, they got to they gotta know the defense. So they got to be able to get guys lined up. Um, and know what's going on upstairs so that way guys are playing faster. And when you can have a player in that position, uh, it does wonders for the defense. The Colts team, obviously, uh, that I follow very closely, they got one of the best in the league, Kenny Moore. And when he's in the game and when he's not in the game, it's a huge difference. Um, you remember years back when uh, Charles Wilson was playing that nickel position um, in Green Bay. Those are just huge difference makers when you got guys that can play and make plays from that slot, and whether it's nickels or safeties. You know, you see Tyron Matthew, you know, he plays a lot of quote-unquote nickel. So it's just guys, you want, you want guys all over the field in that slot. It's a tough uh, tough place to play. Uh, so the, the more guys you got there that can know what's going on uh, mentally and that can get the job done physically, uh, the better off your defense is going to be. What sort of challenge is it when they, you know, with Callahan, they might have him play outside and inside at times? How difficult is it to go back and forth? Um, I, I won't say it's that difficult, honestly. Uh, you got to watch more film, uh, you know, because you have to know, you know, how teams attack slot defenders, uh, what checks. Uh, so, you know, splitting those practice reps, um, you know, watching, you know, you're watching first and second down as most likely an outside corner. And then on third down, you're watching, you know, mostly what's going on in the inside. And then if somebody gets hurt, okay, now I may be primarily playing one or the other. So it's those are the challenges that come with it. But um, if, if I think Callahan, you know, him being where he is uh, in his career, I think he can definitely handle it, um, you know, being a veteran. For a young guy, it would be really, really tough uh, to go from, you know, starting on the outside and then one sub come in and go on the inside and play, and, and play that position. But uh, for a guy that's a veteran, you've been around the game, you kind of understand past concepts. You understand offenses and how they're going to attack you in different defenses. Um, I think you'll be more to, than prepared to um, excel in that role if they if they ask him to do that. And then, Darius, we know you're a defensive back guru, but obviously have a general appreciation for the game. With guys like Jarrell Casey on this defense, Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, oh, what, do you, what do you think about those guys? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really, really excited about uh, Jarrell Casey. Uh, Jarrell Casey, and like you said, um, I love defensive back. And, um, you know, being a good def- good defensive back, you love uh, good players up front because they're going to you know, wreak havoc in, 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 up, up the middle, especially on that quarterback, getting them out. You got Von Miller. Um, hopefully Chubbs gets back out, out there healthy. Well, you got guys like that, it makes it 
so much better on the back end, especially if you can anticipate and you know what's coming. And now you got guys who are going to force that ball out quicker. Um, man, or you, or it takes kind of the pressure off of the back end to have the blitz or have to generate um, pressure. You can just rush four guys and be effective. So um, that's great. You, you absolutely love that as a DP. And being uh, very familiar with Casey, I've uh, been in the same division for him for so long. He's one of those kind of unsung superstars who's been a star in this league for a long, long time. And uh, having those other guys around him on that defensive front, um, he can very well have another Pro Bowl All-Pro type year. Well, Darius, as much as everybody loves to talk about the offense, we're happy to talk a little defense here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you for having me. I love it. Phil, I thought a couple of interesting points there from my conversation with Darius. One was that he just expects the market for Justin Simmons to get bigger and, you know, he kind of wishes he would have been rewarded. And he sees the value there of a pairing like Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, which we spoke about before the break. But then away from the secondary, Phil, he thinks Jarrell Casey could have an all pro type season, another Pro Bowl year with kind of all the weapons he has around him and the support they'll have on the back end. I definitely think so. I think uh, Jarrell Casey, five consecutive Pro Bowls, no reason why it shouldn't be a a sixth this year, especially with the way that this line is coming together. You know, Shelby Harris, Mike Purcell, those guys uh, form a uh, formidable trio in the middle of that defensive line. And then on the outside, of course, Von Miller and uh, Bradley Chubb. If this unit stays healthy throughout the year, I really think that they're going to they're gonna be able to uh, be a strong group. And even the depth behind them, too, uh, we've seen McTelvin Aguim be able to step in and, uh, you know, uh, contribute during camp so far. And we've seen Draymond Jones. Uh, he seems eager to take the next step in his career. So uh, I think that at defensive line, the Broncos are in pretty good shape right now. Yeah, I would agree in general just about the, you know, this is a veteran defense. I think the Broncos have the most or second most cap space of any team devoted to their defense. But I like where they are from a young player perspective at several positions. You know, not not everyone, but like you mentioned, you have Draymond Jones and you have McTelvin Aguim at outside linebacker. Malik Reed has showed some potential and Bradley Chubb is still young. Alexander Johnson is in his really his second full season in the league. And then at cornerback, you're hopeful that Michael Ojemudia becomes a guy. You're hopeful that either Isaac Adam or Devontae Bosby can carve out a spot. And then you'd like to think Boye and Simmons and Callahan can all stick around a few more years. Um, So I think they're, you know, John always, John Elway always says win now and be ready to win later. And I think defensively they're ready for that. Win from now on, I believe is the, the phrase but uh yes you know one thing that's interesting you tell me what you think about this eric uh, alexander johnson when he's out there he's wearing full-on sweatpants those and those are pads phil no it's sweatpants when they're not in pads he's wearing complete sweatpants and i'm not talking about like uh you know compression leggings not uh, no he's wearing sweatpants and in Denver, the last several weeks, it's been mid-90s or higher. And he's just out there. I'm sweating. I'm, bare, I'm wearing shorts and a, and a shirt. You're and barely doing anything. Barely doing anything, and I'm sweating. And Alexander Johnson's out there. I think some days he wears a hoodie. I mean, uh, I don't know how he does that. You're from the South, Eric. Yeah, it's just, you know, he's from Georgia, I think. The heat down there, it's a little, a little different. different. He probably thinks it's like he's probably cold. Yes. Or maybe, you know, we know that uh, like a lot of dinosaurs kind of have skinny legs. So maybe he's just a little self-conscious about that. Or uh, cold-blooded, you know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, a little warm-up maybe. I don't know. I think C.J. Anderson used to wear sweatshirts quite a bit, but yeah. that was part of, I think, his uh, attempt to get in shape there. Yes, I believe so. Uh I think they call that losing weight, I think is what the term is. Is that what it is? But that's just water weight, so I don't, I don't really know what that does. So uh, anyway, sorry, got off track there for a second. Uh, Eric, Ben Swanson, I, not going to be happy. 
let's get uh, talking about some guys who are on the bubble. Just one more week of uh, camp to go here for the Broncos. And uh, it's flown by, at least for me, Eric. I know, I know when you're having fun, time flies. That's what's happened so far. We're about two weeks into this thing. And uh, it's, believe it or not, time to talk about uh, guys on the bubble. I mean, it has flown by because we haven't had as many practices. I mean, they've been in this acclimation period for a while that Vic Fangio said didn't go quite as well as they wanted it to. But so you've essentially got 18 practices if you're a bubble guy to try to make some sort of impression. And where I would start is at the tight end position, just because Noah Fant, Albert Okuebunam, and Nick Vanette are locks, I think. And then, I mean, watching Andrew Beck, I don't see how you don't keep him on the roster just because of the positional versatility that he gives you. you know, the, Pat Shermer's offense in New York didn't run a lot of uh, of 21 personnel, but, you know, they did at times. And so you need that fullback there in that case. And so, you know, one, is there room for a Fumagalli or a Jake Butt at all? And Vic Fangio did say the other day that they're both kind of right in that race to make the roster. But does that mean you're going to count Beck as a fullback and then you're going to uh, keep four tight ends still? I mean, I don't see how you make that work from a roster mechanic standpoint unless you're willing to keep five receivers. And I don't see how you make that work if you want to keep Deontay Spencer as a receiver. For, to be your punt returner. And so does that take away from the offensive line? So for me, you've got this big battle between Troy Fumagalli and Jake Butt because that's that's really who it's come down to. But is there, a, is there room for either one of them? I really don't know. Yeah, you know, I would throw Andrew Beck into that, that same conversation with those three there, you know, because I agree with you. Uh, Albert Okuwe-Bunam is going to make this team Noah Fant, obviously, is going to make the team, and Nick Vanette is going to make the team. So then you're talking about traditionally one more guy. And so based off of what we've seen in camp so far, uh, those three guys that you just mentioned there are, are fighting for that final spot. Traditionally, four tight ends, and those guys have all been competing at the tight end position. If you were to just ask me at this point, I would say that Troy Fumagalli makes it. Among, out of those three guys, just because he has made a lot of big plays out there. He's proven to be a reliable wide receiver uh, when he goes out for routes. And uh, I don't know. I know that they really like Andrew Beck as well, but just hearing Vic Fangio talk about Troy Fumagalli this week, I feel like he, at least at this point, has a bit of a leg up. And that's not really fair to Andrew Beck, who missed the beginning of camp uh, on the COVID list. So, but that, I mean, that all uh, plays into it. I think that uh, at this point, I would say Fumagalli's ahead. But uh, maybe with all that talent there, Eric, maybe they look to say, hey, maybe we move one of these guys to a team that needs a tight end and uh, maybe you pick up a draft pick or something, a middle linebacker down the road, something like that. Um, because the Broncos really have a wealth of talent there. You know, and I know that they really like Andrew Beck because. He came on late last season. He, uh, he's got good feet. He moves well. I just, uh, I don't know what they're going to do there. They got too much. They already had too much talent there. And then they went in and brought Nick Vanette in and they drafted uh, Albert O. So uh, I, I'm not sure what, what's going to happen there. Yeah. I mean, one option, of course, is you just see what happens with IR. You know, does anybody need to go on, on there? Um, elsewhere in the roster that would let you keep a back and a Fumagalli slash butt because so I don't think there's any way that Fumagalli and butt make it I think there's a chance that back and one of those guys does but not Fumagalli and butt not that combination um, but maybe you say hey we're going to keep one fewer offensive lineman on the active roster and then on game days because now there's a rule about being able to act, bring a guy up from the practice squad a certain number of times without exposing them to waivers. So maybe you say each week we're going to do that with a different guy um, as our, you know, last resort backup player. Maybe you say, hey, does, can we get a Tyree Cleveland to a, 
to the practice squad and save a spot there. I don't think there's any way the Broncos carry three quarterbacks, so you don't have to worry about a spot there, but it's going to be tight. And that's a good thing because in the past, you know, we haven't had these conversations as much because the talent battle wasn't there. A good player is going to get cut from this team, you know, and, and that might be due to uh, injury concerns with Jake, Butt. that might be due to potential with Andrew Beck and, you know, moving on from Fumagalli. Uh, but somebody is going to get cut or traded. That's a really talented player who, uh, who probably is going to get picked up somewhere else in the league. So I definitely think tight end is one position to pay attention to. Uh, Eric, the other position, well, there's two other positions I was hoping to talk about. One, one is pass rush. You know, I, mm -hmm. Typically, I think that they would keep four pass rushers, obviously Vaughn and uh, Bradley Chubb. But then behind Malik Reed, Jerry Atachu, and Derek Tuska, I mean, there might be one one of those guys who are the odd man out. Yeah, and, you know, those guys were kind of helped out a little bit because the Broncos had to move Justin Hollins to inside linebacker. He would have been another guy competing for a spot there. I think Malik Reed is safe. He's been impressive to me during training camp. I think he's done a nice job. He's not, he's not as big as Von Miller or Bradley Chubb. Uh, and so I think there's some concerns maybe in the run game, but he has looked good rushing the passer. He took some reps for Vaughn when Vaughn was out briefly with the elbow. You know, I just haven't, Tuska hasn't, he hasn't had as many opportunities. And he's a guy that if you played preseason games, maybe he would have been able to get a couple sacks and kind of show the decision makers what he can do. And the fact that he doesn't get those opportunities could mean he ends up on the practice squad. And then the Broncos, I guess, just hope that he, he makes it there. Yeah. I was going to say it might come down to just simply which of those guys they think could clear waivers best, you know, and they would have a good idea on what the buzz around the league is with a guy you know, obviously Tuzga made it all the way to the seventh round in the draft. So maybe they feel like they could sneak him through. And then once he hits a practice squad, they can protect him. They can protect four players on the practice squad this year. So maybe that's a, a situation there. But also maybe a guy like Malik Reed might be able to clear waivers better. And then they make it, you know, and then maybe they look at that situation a little bit better. I, more. I, I'm not yeah. sure. I don't, I don't know if Malik makes it. And one thing I think about waivers, Phil, is if you have to cut a, a Jake Butt, for example, there's tape on him. So I think people are going to say, we're going to take a flyer on that guy. We want Jake Butt. If you cut a seventh round pick who went, what, 254th overall or, or 255th, wherever Tuska was, I think teams around the league are going to be trying to keep their own seventh round picks. Because you've seen them, you've had them in their in your system. Do you want to bring in another guy that's somewhat of a flyer that would have to learn a new offense or defense? I mean, I think you're definitely going to be concerned that they get picked up. But I could see a situation where the Broncos are worrying about Derek Tuska and Tyree Cleveland getting to the practice squad, while in Pittsburgh they're worrying about their seventh round pick getting there, and then everybody just kind of takes their own to the practice squad. It's possible, but. Just based off of uh, what Matt Russell was saying after the draft, what you've hear, heard, uh, you know, Fangio spent time with Tuska out on the practice field, working with him, likes his potential there. Uh, I, I just think personally, they might just be really high on the guy, knowing what he could eventually become and saying, look, it's not even worth it to risk this because we think eventually he's going to get there and we might not need to rely on them this year because we have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. So thinking, trying to project out a little bit, and while maybe Malik Reed is, a, is better now, maybe thinking a couple of years down the line when you're going to have to rely on one of these guys, they're like, at that point, Tusk is going to be really good, so let's not risk it. So uh, I'm not sure. I just think that they're going to have to make a decision there. Um, and while I agree that a seventh round pick has a better chance of making it through waivers, so does a guy like maybe like Malik Reed, who, you know, plays well, but hasn't really done a ton on tape to make it so that he's like a, a big name around the league or something, you know? So, yeah, but 
a use. There's tape that he can, I think he had what, two or three sacks last year that he can do that against NFL competition. And so if you're desperate enough, I think that's enough right there to at least claim him and you might not keep him, but see what happens with him. I mean, the, the Broncos traded a, or excuse me, Broncos claimed Duke Dawson last year. He didn't really have any tape. They claimed Deontay Spencer, who didn't have a whole lot of tape. I mean, these are guys that did a little bit, and then the, the Broncos just kind of took a chance. Know, yeah. So, and that's what you do on the waiver system. And listen, there are going to be guys that get claimed this year. And like we were saying, that's a good thing because I think a couple of years ago, the Broncos waived people and nobody got claimed. And that's not a good sign for what the rest of the league thinks about your roster. And so if, if they're going after your guys, that's a good sign. I'll just say this. Uh, based off of what they hear, what they've been saying, I would be surprised if Tuska's not on that roster, come roster fit down. So why well, you're an R. Uh, that's that's what I, I that's what I'll say right now. I'd be surprised. But um it, there's definitely somebody there who who's not gonna be able to make it. So um that's and then the other position Eric is at cornerback. I feel like the Broncos have like a handful of guys that they're hoping one of them emerges as a third cornerback, but then behind that for depth purposes, they'll probably keep what two, maybe three more, but there, there might be a guy like a Duke Dawson who's on the outside looking in. Yeah. You, you probably get to that nine or 10 uh, total when you add the safeties in. And so, they're not going to keep any more than four safeties just because of a relative lack of depth behind Kareem and Justin. And so, yeah, you think five or six corners and you've got Boye, Callahan, Oja Moody is going to make it regardless of if he's the third corner because of his draft status. And then you say, you know, do Bosby, Harris, and Yadam have been competing right now for that spot? Do all three of those guys make it? Do you say, you know, maybe uh, say Harris is the, third best option at corner and you think Duke Dawson is a better special teams player at that point, does he get to make the roster? Um, but yeah, I mean, somebody who has taken reps at that number three spot is probably going to get cut. Yeah. Because uh, I would, I would say if you just ask me now, here's who the Broncos cornerbacks would be. Uh, Boye Callahan, Bosby, I would say. Then Oja Moody is definitely going to make the team. And then I would say, at this point, Isaac Yadam is going to make the team, I would say. So then may, maybe one more guy there. Um, so uh, probably at, at this point, Devontae Harris, I would say, uh, probably has the best chance of, uh, of uh, making it from those guys. Yeah. So maybe maybe it's a, a guy like Duke Dawson who's on uh, on the outside looking in, but that's just based off of how many reps we've seen them take and uh, how they've been working so far through camp. But that's why there's still a week to go. And uh, maybe some of these guys can uh, emerge and get that opportunity. But, you know, we've said this all throughout camp that guys who are on the back end of that bubble, you know, they're like in uh, the fifties, sixties range. It's, this is a harder season for them to try and make this team. Yeah. And the good news is the practice squad is 16 players. So, Right now, the Broncos roster is at 80. They're only, you know, they're going to have to cut to get down to 53, but then they can add guys back. So really only, a, you know, if you wanted to make a practice squad of your own players, only 11 guys really have to leave. So, you know, there, there's a good chance you're going to get to stick on somewhere, somewhere around the league if you're on a roster right now, uh, which is good. Phil, the battle you didn't mention was long snapper. That's a... I've been watching that very closely. Wes Farnworth and uh, Jacob Bobenmeyer. Yeah, I'd say there's a 50-50 chance that Bobenmeyer wins the wins the uh, battle there. Yes, 50. I would say it's about 50-50 right now. And uh, that's what I've gathered from watching practice. You you know, there's a lot of technique that goes into it. There's a lot of uh, it's a lot more than just snapping the ball. Let's just say that, Eric. And uh, it's true. Those guys, you know, there's a lot of pressure. I will say in all seriousness, in some situations in a game, when the team is in a two-minute drill and they drive all the way down the field and they make these big plays and everything, 
and say they get close enough for what you would think is an automatic game-winning field goal. You yeah. just assume the snap is going to be 60 yards. And, you know, you assume that it's a it's an automatic procedure there, but there's a lot of pressure on the long snapping on the long snapper. And uh, you know, the last couple of years there's been no problems there, but you know, there can be uh, some issues there, so it's not there are people too, Eric. That's why I brought him up, Phil. I will say, well, we didn't really touch on wide receiver too much there, but that's another position where the Broncos have a lot of talent. And, uh, you know, if you uh, talk about uh, special teams, we've heard that Deontay Spencer is the returner right now. So if he takes up a spot, you know, there's a, there's a chance that a pretty good wide receiver might not make this team too. You know, and Phil, it depends. I think the current rules are that you can put guys on IR for as few as three weeks and that you can bring back as many as possible this year. And so obviously you can't expose KJ Hamler to waivers, but if you thought he was going to be out for two or three more weeks after camp open or camp ends, maybe you keep him on active roster for a day and put him on IR and then you re-sign a guy. But I mean, yeah, that's tough because Sutton and Judy are, are locks and Hamler certainly for the day one roster, but if you keep Spencer, that leaves two spots for essentially uh, Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton, and Tyree Cleveland. I've kind of, Juwan Winfrey, I thought was going to have a chance to maybe push for a spot, but he he's practiced once or twice since camp started, and so he's he's not in a great spot, I would guess, to make the team. Yeah, I would probably say uh, IR probably for Juwan Winfrey, but, you know, uh, if if they want to keep him, like they can just uh, send him there now. But um, yeah, there and then there's a lot of other guys. You know, there's a, you know, um, you know, guys that you don't really know about, but they've been out there making some pretty good plays. Uh, they brought in a wide receiver last week, Kobe White, and Cody White. Cody White. I'm sorry, Cody. Cody White. Kobe White is a basketball player, right? I think so. I'm yeah, you got. Yeah, I mean, Trinity Benson, Fred Brown, Kendall Hinton. Yeah, I mean, they've made plays, and I think that in a normal year, maybe, or normal group, really, maybe you have a chance to make the practice yeah. squad if you're one of those guys. And there's nothing wrong with aspiring to make the practice squad and then trying to work your way up from there. And that's probably what their their, their reality looks like. Right. But, um, I, you know, they brought in a guy last week, and he made plays, and you're just like, oh, that's a that's an interesting move at a position where you've got already a ton of talent. So, but yeah, I would say, I would say Tim Patrick is safe, but uh, you never know. There's always some names that uh, could surprise you. Uh, yeah, I think Deshaun is safe too. So, yeah, I think if you're going to keep Deontay, it's going to come down to Tim Patrick and Tyree Cleveland in terms of who you want to keep and. I would guess Tyree Cleveland has a better chance of clearing waivers than Tim Patrick, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, and if you don't keep Deontay, then I would keep all three of those guys in Hamilton, uh, Cleveland, and Patrick. Yeah. We've but seen... with, with Hamler out, you don't really have that alternative punt returner, so Spencer kind of gets a boost there. Yeah. And maybe uh, maybe they try to clear a guy in waivers at another position and then bring him back um, while you're saving a wide receiver you don't think is going to be good. But, um, yeah, they're going to have some interesting decisions, and those guys that we all mentioned there really need to pick things up here this week, and uh, it's our last chance to really uh, leave an impression upon this coaching staff. I would say that uh, – a lot of those positions aren't slam dunks right now, so they have an opportunity to uh, to still sneak in there and do something. So um, it's going to be a big week of practice, and uh, you know the Broncos doing a, a, a sort of a run through of what a game day would look like uh, this weekend, and then uh, not exactly sure what the structure of practice is going to look like next week. But uh, I would assume that they're going to still have chances to. Uh, Make some make an impression. So, anyway, yeah, let's get to my conversation with uh, former All Pro linebacker Tom Jackson. 
we caught up with him this week for our Broncos Legends series. If you haven't checked that out on uh, DenverBroncos.com or the Broncos YouTube page, make sure to check that out. But uh, I had a chance to uh, ask Tom Jackson what John Elway's arrival in 1983 meant, and uh, he kicked things off with a pretty great story. This is a this is an easy one, but it's 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 fun to tell the story. So the trade takes place. We've got the number one overall draft pick in the draft. He's going to come in. I believe it was like a week, a week and a half later, and he's going to throw the football. It's either that or after he signed his contract, he came in to throw the football. They brought in the receivers and the quarterback and some running backs to just go to the a rookie camp and they're going to throw. So BT and I, Billy Thompson, our strong safety, and, and uh, Joe Collier said when BT retired that BT was the best football player he'd ever, ever coached. So people should take that to heart. So we go out to watch John Elway throw. So we're standing on the sideline, got my arms folded, I'm standing over there and watching because we've searched for a quarterback for a number of years. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from what Craig Morton did for us, but Craig did what he did in the later stages of his career. It was kind of on the back end. And I watch John throw, and I turn to BT, and I said, we're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to the Super Bowl. It, 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 it's, it's, it, watching him throw was so unique. Uh, his ball made a sound. He broke the rules when he first came in because what he would do is he would, uh, you know, you're supposed to throw the ball on the break. You throw the ball on the break. You don't throw the ball when the guy is open because you'll, you'll be late. The, the, the DB will make up ground. In the case of John, he could wait till the receiver came open and then he would throw him the ball. And I was like, well, how are you going to defend that? And, 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 and then you found out that he was this grounded superstar, that he wanted to be uh, a good, solid teammate as well. Um, many a time he invited us to um, you know, a little session where the, the, the quarterback offensive line would get together, uh, watch a little film, uh, this away from the facility, watch, watching some film, maybe have some cold beers in a, in a tub. And John would say, Hey, why don't you guys come over and, and watch some film with us? And, you know, just we'll sit down and bond a little bit. And that's the thing that, I mean, yes, he's a great player. But what made him a great teammate was that he he was he was just one of us wanting to win, and and as good a athlete as I ever saw, I just never saw anything like him. Hall of Fame quarterback would have been an outstanding baseball player, drafted into Major League Baseball, best golfer on the team, best golfer on the team, uh, the intramural basketball team that used to travel. He's an outstanding basketball player. Those people don't know that. John, I, I used to tell John, you got stuck in line. When God was giving out talent, you must have got stuck in line because, because he, just, he just gave you an abundance of it. Having a quarterback like that, did that rejuvenate you toward the end of your career? It did. It, 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 it really did because uh, what John proved to us was that even if things didn't go well, he would give us a chance to win. And he might win it by himself. You know, everybody, um, I did something the other day on the drive and, and there was just, that was a moment where you watch somebody uh, take a step toward greatness and it's just evident to you, it's tangible. You can reach out and touch it. Ball on the one and a half. I was on the kickoff return team, so it wasn't on the two. 
It was on the one and a half. And it was probably closer to the one than it was the two. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, 99 yards. There's just no way. We have, we've had a hard time moving the ball all day. Um, I remember Dennis Smith was literally in tears because he had given up that touchdown to Brennan. And John stepped on the field, probably got the first down by about a half a yard. Uh, the, second, this, the second first down wasn't by much more. And then all of a sudden, because I, I remember Dan called timeout at one, on one of those occasions, and John came to the sideline and had this look in his eye. And we were all like, okay, it, it, he, he, it, it's not something that, that, that he's nervous about. He's embracing this. This is his moment. And by the time he got to the about the 50, Phil, I knew he was going to score. I, we, we, we all were like, he's going to score. Now, the thing I will say for Cleveland fans who still are tortured by it is that it wasn't a two-minute drill. It, it was a five-minute drill. So he had the time to do what he needed to do. But watching him do it, he took a step toward greatness, and he never took a step back. He never took a step back. Uh, that third and 18 play where it hits, hits off him and he still catches third and 18. it. it, it unbelievable. Um, it, like I said, he had, he had a look in his eye that let us know, this is what I live for. This is who I am. This is why I was the number one overall pick in the draft, because I have this ability to run, throw, think my way through it, uh, motivate, get people to play above their, their normal level. He had everything. He had all those things. And, and I just wish that, um, you know, we could have played better for him. You know, in certain situations, I just wish we could have played better for him and, and given him a, a more of a chance to, to win more Super Bowls because he probably deserved to win a few more. My thanks to uh, Tom Jackson for joining me earlier this week. Uh, Eric, he said that John Elway's balls made a noise when you heard them. Uh, they made this little when they flew through the air. We've heard some some talk about that, talk about the point of the ball leaving a cross on the wide receiver. We've heard those stories. But to me, what stood out is when a defensive player who's been in the league a long time talks about John Elway the way he does all these years later, there's a, there's a real affinity there that's uh, lasted three decades. Yeah, I mean, that just speaks to the type of player he was and the impact he had on the organization. And I don't think, you know, anyone's forgotten that. You just think about the impact he has on Denver and how revered he is here and, and around the country, Phil, even on the East Coast. I mean, it's pretty clear. I would say worldwide, Eric, is what I would, <laughs> I would say. Got uh, it. We saw The Athletic put out uh, a really cool – uh, story, talked to a bunch of people about the drive, including Tom Jackson. They talked to him for a little bit and uh, he re he relived some of those memories there, just talking about looking into the eyes of John Elway and knowing we're going to score a touchdown here. It's easy to say now that it actually happened, but I believe him. I mean, there's a, there's a certain, uh, you know, we've heard John Elway say that he never felt pressure in those situations because the expectation was that you were going to lose. So he was able to go out there and just play around. And I don't know that third down and 18 play. I'm not sure how many quarterbacks in the history of this game make that play. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And Phil, I can always count on you when we need a big interview. I just see it in your eyes. You're going to get it Tom done. I, you know, I talked to him for 39 minutes. Well, wow, that's like half of this podcast. It's a long time. Eric. Maybe a third of this podcast. Uh, it was really cool to catch up with him, talk about his media career, talk about his, his football career, and uh, get his thoughts on his current Broncos team. So make sure you uh, check out some of that content, all part of our Broncos Legends series. Uh, Eric, we've reached that point in the show where we normally do shout-outs. Is that okay to, if we do them again? Or? Um, 
mean, we would shout out Liz Manis, but we probably shouldn't even do that this week. I don't care what people say. I'm shouting out Liz Manis. I have to. Yeah, that's true. Shout out to the community department. They've been doing a lot of, uh, of work about uh, making sure that people are educated on the on how to vote, how to register to vote. You know, uh, there's a lot of stuff happening in this world, Eric. And, uh, you know, the one way that we can really make a difference is by voting, regardless of uh, where you land on the political spectrum, you have a voice. And uh, the way you exercise that is uh, through voting. So the Broncos doing a lot of great work there on, uh, you know, I know you had a chance to sit in on that, that meeting with the players. So, um, yeah, that was a cool, uh, cool session. The Colorado secretary of state spoke to the team and Curtis Modkins shared some insights on why the right to vote is so important to him. And you're right. So I think no matter what you believe or, you know, what you feel, being able to vote is important. And I think the fact that not just the Broncos, but the NFL and college teams and other sports leagues have made this a priority, I think is probably overdue, but also a really positive step. And, you know, there's so much happening right now in the world. This is going to be really, the next couple of months is going to be really a charged political atmosphere. Eric. This isn't a political podcast. So uh, we can't spend too much time on that, but it is important to vote. And uh, and uh, it's been uh, good to see the work the Broncos have been doing. So anyway, uh, enough uh, chit chat there. We're not, we're not supposed to do that. So um, our thanks to uh, Darius Butler and Tom Jackson, our guests on this show. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed those conversations. Plus we talked about uh, our surprises through 10 days of Broncos camp and uh, which guys have some work left to do? Some of the bubble guys, what, what do they got to do here as uh, things wind down one more week to go of training camp before roster cut downs. And then, uh, then we're off and running, getting ready for uh, the Tennessee Titans. Let's do it. It'll be here before we know it. We'll be back next week with uh, another edition of the neutral zone. Uh, hopefully we'll do some uh, season preview stuff, maybe a, a few more, uh, thoughts on uh, the roster cut down as uh as things get a little bit closer here so we'll be back next week uh, until then for eric dalala i am phil milani you've been listening to the, the neutral zone, zone.